morning. Man, that's two services in a row where people are excited to say good morning. That's pretty good for you guys. Um, hi, I'm Eric. Uh, many of you may not have seen me up here before. It's because it's been a while. Um, I usually teach and help and serve in the youth group, uh, but fortunately I had the opportunity to share God's word uh, with you this morning. So <clears throat> I just want to kind of give you an idea of how this is going to go down. We're going to spend some time going through God's word and seeing what it says to us. So hopefully you hear from God and not from me, because people who know me will tell you that I'm the last thing you need in your life. Um, so here's what we're going to do. I'm going to pray, we're going to read the Bible, and then we're going to get into it. All right, so let's pray. Um, Jesus, I'm so thankful to be here. Um, I just want to ask for your help to be humble. Uh, the last thing that anyone needs in their life is more Eric, but they need more Jesus. So I pray, Jesus, that you would come through this. I pray that your word would affect hearts. I pray that this would be a sermon by you for your glory, for the good of others. I pray that your Holy Spirit would help me uh, soften the hearts of those who hear. And I pray that they would be open, receptive to receive truth and anything that's not, um, that's not up to your standards. I pray that it would be quickly forgotten. Um, so, Lord, just be with us in this time. Help us to love you. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So, uh, if you've got a Bible, go ahead and launch it in your phone or open it up to Proverbs chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible, there are Bibles at the end of your row. There are books with usually black covers. Um, we're going to be in that. It's called the Bible. Um, <clears throat> we're going to be in Proverbs chapter 3. If you don't know where Proverbs is, take your Bible, open it up to like the middle-ish. You should be around the book of Psalms. Keep going to the right, and then you'll bump into Proverbs. There's a there's divided into chapters, and in the third chapter is where we're going to spend um, our time today. I'm going to ask you guys to just hang out in Proverbs 3. I'm going to kind of be all over the place, but uh, I think you'll benefit the most if you just stay put. Anyways, we're going to look at Proverbs chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. So let's take a look at that together. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. God's word says this. It says, My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart Keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. So you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Like I said, I'm not normally up here, so I wanted to give you guys a little introduction, a little bit about me. <clears throat> and so just to make it more personal, I feel like we can connect better that way. I'll let you a little bit on my personal life. Um, so if you don't know me, uh, you might not know that I did not grow up in a Christian home at all. It was a pretty irreligious home. My dad left the church when he was in his 20s. Uh, my mom's side of the family sort of follows a cultural brand of Judaism, and I spent a lot of time around that side of the family, so I would not tell you that I'm a Jew, but I'm Jewish. Um, it's a joke. You can laugh. Thanks. <laughs> um, Anyhow, so I started attending um, synagogue when I was in seventh grade. I was around 12 years old, and that consisted of Sunday mornings going to Hebrew school, and then Friday nights I would go to um, uh, Hebrew service. And if you've never been to Hebrew service, you're not missing out, but um, 
uh, Sunday school was really fun for me. I got to hang out with people my age. We got to learn stuff about like our, our religion's history and cultural stuff like that. But Friday night service was not so great, except I had a friend. Uh, my friend's name was Alex. Alex was really into video games. Alex's mom let him bring his Game Boy to Friday night services, and I watched that. Um, that's how I got really into those particular games. And so we sat at the back. We played video games. They said some stuff in language I did not understand. We didn't have our own building, so we met at a senior living home, which, like, when you're 12 years old, is not terribly cool. But um, so that's kind of how my religious life started, is in the back of a senior living center watching someone play video games. <clears throat> what I've come to realize in the past few years is that that experience in seventh grade has kind of shaped how I feel about God, right? So when you're in the back of a room and there's a whole bunch of weird holy stuff with like a Torah and a big closet and people singing in a language that doesn't make any sense to you, like it's very easy to feel like I'm back here, God's up there, and we don't really connect ever. Like every once in a while, God will like come back in the form of a Torah and you get to like touch it. Like, I don't know why, but you're supposed to touch it and then it, I don't know. Anyways, um, that's why I'm a Christian now. <laughs> that's not why. Um, but it just like, it was very hard for me and it still continues to be hard to me in some senses because it's very easy for me to feel God is big, God is different, God is holy. God's over there. I am not big, different, or holy. So I'm back here with a Game Boy. And that affects my relationship with the Lord to this day. Emotions complicate my relationship with God, and maybe they do for you too. So that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about emotions and God and where we find an intersection. Now, notion, uh, emotions are not inherently bad, all right? Maybe you'll hear that once in a while, and that's not true. We saw that in the video before. Emotions can be good, right? In fact, uh, God wants Adam to experience joy in marriage and companionship in, chapter, in Genesis chapter 2. That's before sin even enters the picture, right? He provides a helper. Uh, verse 23 of Genesis chapter 2 says, uh, Adam says, This at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She will be called woman because she was taken out of man. There's a pastor who says the very simple summary of this is Adam looks at Eve and goes, mm, mm, mm. Right? That's a feeling, right? Uh, and it's a good, right, holy feeling because it's from God when there's no sin in the world at all. These are a wonderful feeling that God has given to Adam. In fact, if you look uh, throughout the Bible, you will see God chooses to describe himself with emotions to his people. If you look at Exodus chapter 20, God is giving his followers the Ten Commandments. Verses 4 and 5, God describes himself as a jealous God. Probably not the word I would choose to describe my God if I'm introducing him to a brand new person who's never heard of God before. But he's, he describes himself as jealous. He is jealous when he does not get what is rightfully his and is owed to him. We all know John 3.16, if you've ever watched a football game or um, been to VBS or something, you know John 3.16, for God so loved. God didn't make a factual, analytical decision looking at the world and be like, all right, I'm going to save you because this, this, well, Eric is there, maybe not, but okay. We'll say, no. no, God loved the world. God cared so much that he came down. He did not make a yes, no, pros and cons lift. He loved the world. In fact, even in Proverbs chapter 6, maybe this makes some of you uncomfortable, God gives us a list of things he hates. 
God hates as much as he loves. And because God loves, he can hate. God hates lying. He hates murder. He hates idolatry and pride. If emotions existed before the fall and are experienced by God, they must be a part of our design and they must serve a greater purpose. So we're going to look at Proverbs and we're going to see what it can teach us about emotions. And I think one of the things that we can do to kind of set this up and figure out we're making sure we're all on the same page and tracking with one another, we want to talk about where emotions come from. I'm not talking like physiologically, where do we find emotions in like the medulla oblong, and I know that's wrong, but just stick with me. It's like, I'm not talking about where it physically comes from, from your body, but like, you know, what the Bible says about where emotions come from. The emotions in the Bible come from what it calls the heart. Now, if your doctor calls, says something about your heart, that is something very different. It's your physical, actual organ. And so if your, dog says, or if your doctor says you have heart problems, pay attention to that, right? But like, if the Bible says you have heart problems, you pay attention to that in a very different way. The heart um, is what Karl Barth, a theologian, well, he, he calls the heart this, and I'm just going to let him say it because he can say it better than me. He says, the heart is not merely a, but the reality of man, both holy of soul and holy of body. The heart is what the Bible calls the wholeness, the completeness of who we are as people. It is not only your spiritual life. It is not only your emotional life. It is not only your physical life. It is the full manifestation of who you are created by God. And from that fullness of who you are, you feel emotions. And when we talk about emotions, it's, it's important to make sure that you hear that emotions are okay. And the reason I say this is because I saw the Fred Rogers documentary a few weeks ago called Won't You Be My Neighbor? <clears throat> and it is wonderfully charming, and I fully recommend it. Um, if you don't know who Fred Rogers was, Fred Rogers was a, uh, a Christian who was a creator of the TV show and the star of the TV show, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. Um, if he accomplished nothing else in his life, and I to totally believe he did, he validated the feelings of people, and especially of children, because in the movie he says, I see children as made in the image of God. And they should be valid and they should be okay to feel what they feel. He says, remember that feelings are natural and normal and that happy times and sad times are a part of everyone's life. So as we look through the book of Proverbs, we're going to see what God says about our emotions and what we feel. We're going to see there are three characteristics of emotions that will help us think rightly about them. All right, three characteristics of emotions that help us think rightly about them. Characteristic number one, emotions are not God. I would say that goes without saying, but I'm going to say it. Emotions are not God. This may, might sound obvious to some of you, but so often we let our emotions kind of dictate what we do and how we approach God and how we live our lives. Uh, a few years ago, Pixar movie came out called Inside Out. I don't know if you guys had a chance to see it. It's really fun. Um, if you're not familiar with it, the premise of Inside Out is there's a 12-year-old girl, 11-year-old girl, 12-year-old girl, and she is controlled, piloted sort of by her emotions. She's got five emotions living in um, her control center of her brain. She's got joy, anger, disgust, fear, and sadness. And at one point, uh, joy and sadness get lost, and the other three take control, and it's just all kinds of mayhem is what happens. It's kind of a fun film. I, I really enjoyed it. I saw it with uh, my wife. Um, <clears throat> but it's interesting because so many of us choose to live our lives 
in a way where we let our emotions control everything we do. Now, some of us will wake up feeling a certain way, and that affects the whole day, doesn't it? Right? Sometimes you just fa- wake up and you're just like, I am not feeling this Tuesday. <laughs> you laugh because it's true. <laughs> right? You wake up feeling a certain way, and it affects everything, whether you're going to work, you're going to school, maybe you're a parent, or you have a relationship with someone else out there, and like, just the way you're feeling is like, mm-mm, no, today's not the day. Don't do that. Right? When we give ourselves over to how we feel, we are serving ourselves and not God. When we let our feelings dictate our behavior, we demonstrate a lack of self-control, which is one of the fruits of the Spirit for believers. We betray a lack of self-discipline. And here's what the Bible says about people with a lack of self-discipline. A man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. That's Proverbs chapter 25. And we don't have cities with walls anymore, but we've all seen those kind of, you know, old abandoned restaurants and stuff that don't have doors or windows anymore, right? If you don't have self-control, you're like one of those places that have been just ransacked. All kinds of unrighteousness goes on in there, right? You lose every good thing within you and leave yourself open to the enemy and all kinds of unrighteousness without self-control, And that's just from doing what feels good or feels right or what one commenter would call following your own appetite. When we refuse to control our emotions and we instead follow their lead, we put our emotions in the place of God and we misplace our worship and we lose our joy. There's a pastor named Vody Bauckham who I really enjoy and he gave this example. Say this, say I'm flying on a plane somewhere And a beautiful woman sits down next to me and she takes a liking to me. That could happen. Um, But say it happens. Like, just pretend with me. Say it happens. Um, And we just start feeling chemistry. Like, we just start connecting on all different levels. She's into the same stuff I'm into. We just connect, right? Would it be okay for me to pursue just the way I feel because it feels right? Of course not. Look, if I'm feeling a certain way, if I'm allowing my emotions to dictate everything I do in life, nothing is safe. My marriage isn't safe. My children aren't safe. My relationships with any of you are not safe. My work isn't safe. If I'm dictated by emotions, nothing is sacred, nothing is protected or admirable or good when I serve my emotions alone. Maybe for some of you it's anger. Maybe your kids or your parents or your siblings just don't listen to you. Right? They just keep, they, you've had those days, right? They just keep pushing the right buttons. And they see you, at, like that first response where you kind of like catch yourself and be like, that was a close one. But they see it and they're like, oh yeah. And they do it again and you're like, oh. and they keep doing it and doing it. And like by the end of the day, there's just like some little thing and just like, that's it. It's going down, right? And then you just kind of lean into it and you just let them have it. And it's just like, it like kind of almost feels good to like let them get what they've deserved. And I pray that by grace you encounter James 1.19 where it says, be slow to anger. See, I don't ever feel slow to anger. That's not a feeling, that's a command. I don't feel slow to anger. Maybe it's Ephesians 6.4 for you parents when God says, don't provoke your children to anger. Do you feel like doing that or do you do it because God says it? And why are you even angry? That's another thing to ask yourself. Um, 
<clears throat> because your child sinned. I find myself angry because my kid did something against me. I'm more frustrated with their actions towards me than being concerned with the fact that my kids sinned against an almighty God. When I've done that, I've put myself in God's place and made myself a works-based God instead of showing grace. Proverbs 29.11 says, A fool gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds it back. Our feelings cannot be what drives us or guides us. They are not reliable. I think it's important, as we said, emotions come from the heart that kind of from the fullness of who we are. So maybe we should take a look at what the Bible says about the heart. This is what the prophet Jeremiah says in chapter 17, verse 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? That's the heart. And you might say, sure, now I've got some misguided feelings that I act on from time to time, but that doesn't make me like a bad person. I'm in control most of the time, and my, emotion, my emotions generally have led me to good places. Look, Proverbs 27, 19, as, a, as in water, face reflects face, so the heart of man reflects the man. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. It reflects you. You are desperately sick. So now that I've given you this really nice pep talk and you feel really good about yourselves, <clears throat> what do you do? Like, how do you navigate life? If you can't trust your emotions and you can't trust anything within you to lead you, what do you do? Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5, we just read it. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. Trust that God is strong, that God is mighty, and that God is good. Trust that God came to this earth as the man, Jesus Christ. Trust that Jesus felt every temptation, pain, hurt, anger, envy, and lust that you have felt as stated in Hebrews 4.15. Trust that despite every feeling that you've ever had that has led to sin, instead of doing that, Jesus trusted fully in God the Father. And more than that, he trusted Jesus, he trusted God more than what his eyes could see or what his heart could feel. Trust that Jesus was so scared and lonely that he sweated drops of blood in a condition that the NIH calls hematohydrosis. This Jesus feeling nothing but love for God and love for you and me was tortured, brutally murdered, and suffered a fracture in the relationship with God the Father, and that in glory, Jesus rose from the grave after three days in the tomb to allow you to follow God and trust him with all your heart and not turn your heart into an own little God that leads you astray. Your emotions are not God. God is God, and you will follow him. Characteristic number two, emotions are a tool. Now, most of us have a smartphone that we carry around in our pocket, and if not, you probably asked someone for one at some point. <clears throat> um, and they're very powerful tools, right? Uh, because of app functionality and what's available on the internet, they can use, be used for a wide variety of things. You can pay bills and manage your finances. You can read the Bible. You can share stuff encouraging with other people. You can chat with people who live in a different side of the planet. Um, and you can take some like timeless pictures of your family. They're really, really helpful tools. 
but they can also be used for terribly wicked things, right? Like you can make a social media post that says, I really love the New York Yankees. Horribly terrible, and like just awful, awful stuff. Or like maybe you can see, you know, you can go online and be like, oh, I really love cat videos. Wicked stuff like that, you know, just terrible things. Um, I don't care for cats. Um, but you can see how this one tool can be used for wonderful, good, proper, right things, but at the same time can be used for total depravity. And ultimately, our own emotions are just like one of these tools, and that they are good or bad depending on how they are wielded. Now, emotions do have the potential to be used for bad. If you look in Proverbs uh, chapter 1, verses 19, listen to like, some of the emotions in this passage. <clears throat> just hear how they're talked about. Starting in verse 19, God's word says, Such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. It takes away the life of its possessors. Wisdom cries aloud in the street. In the market, she raises her voice. At the head of the noisy street, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gates, she speaks. How long, O oh simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? So we've got four emotions mentioned in this passage, right? Greedy, love, delight, hate. Now, greedy, greediness, we probably generally agree that this is no, not good. It's sinful. Um, but I think that's something that sneaks up on us easier than we can feel. Like if you've ever had that like 2% raise at a job every year but not another raise, you just kind of keep finding places for it and you keep needing more and more money to do more and more things and you keep needing more and more stuff. God's word does not play around when it comes to greed, right? 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10, money is the root of all kinds of evil. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Ecclesiastes 5.10, he who loves money will not be satisfied with money. So that's greediness. But love and delight and hate are all different things, right? They can be used positively, too. We talked about that. Uh, in Matthew 22, Jesus says the greatest commandment is to love God and love others. That's the first, those are the first and greatest commandments. First and second. In the Psalms, we are admonished over and over, delight yourselves in the Lord. That's a good thing. Proverbs chapter 6, as we kind of mentioned, <clears throat> um, God has a list of things that he hates, and God doesn't sin, so we know that hate can be good and righteous. So what are we to make of that? And since we understand from Scripture that our emotions do not exist in a vacuum, we can use them to gauge our heart's alignments to the will of God. This is so crucial. We can use emotions to gauge our heart's alignment to the will of God. Luke chapter 6, verse 45, Jesus says, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the fullness, the man or woman, the mouth speaks. So are you constantly angry? Are you constantly fighting lust? Do you find yourself envious and lacking joy? You may have a misaligned heart. Jesus said it again in Matthew chapter 7, every healthy tree produces good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. I don't know if you guys have ever been apple picking. You find trees pretty quickly to stay away from. And farmers do not let that tree stay for long. If our hearts are in step with God, our lives will demonstrate that we will demonstrate our connectedness to God. Let me give you an example. When I grew up, I went to 
restaurant that I would call the holy of holies, right? Cadoba. Um, yeah, it's better than Chipotle, and I won't hear any arguments against it. <clears throat> now, like, like, listen, I had my food down to a science, right? And I'm going to go through it, and I'm not going to be looking at you. I'm going to be transported back to Ellicott City, Maryland in 2007, where, I, you know, you step at this side of the counter, and you'd be like, I want this, and then this. So excuse me while I leave for a second. Um, but my perfect meal, it was a burrito with ground beef and an extra tortilla, so double-wrapped, hot salsa, corn, cheese, lettuce, and chips. And then as a high school student, we got a free drink, which was great. <clears throat> and of course, you have to get a, a high-C fruit punch to go with it, because if you get a soda, then the bubbles start expanding in your stomach after you finish the burrito, and after you're already full, you kind of get more full, and you just feel like death, so you don't do that. Um, so I, I had it down to a science. It was less than $7 for this whole meal, right? And I, I'm not going to tell you how much money I spent there, but I spent a lot of money there. <laughs> you know, I feel the judgment. Um, listen, so $7 got me a full meal. That was awesome. And so now, even today, whenever I go to a restaurant, $7 is the standard by which I judge all other meals, right? You know, I go to, I'm going to, like, go out, and they're like, oh, less than $7? These 20-piece McNuggets, man. Oh, yeah. That's, like, my stuff right there. Or, you know, you go out to, like, somewhere fancy, be like, I'm going to spend eight fifty at Jersey Mike's tonight? Ooh, we're getting splurgy, man. What is this? Right? I've got this standard that I use to compare to all food purchases. It's a gauge to determine whether I'm spending my money right. And so similarly, we can use our emotions to gauge our hearts. If you're constantly angry and you're, you're struggling with gossip, maybe you're a glutton for burritos or some other kind of sin tempts you out there, like, listen, these emotions pull you towards actions that God says are wrong It's not a behavior problem. It's a heart problem. That's what King David sees in himself. If you're unfamiliar with King David's story later in his life, he sees a married woman and he feels a desire for her. And so he uses his power to take advantage of her, um, impregnate her, and then tries to trick her husband into thinking that the baby is his. And when he doesn't follow that plan, David has him killed. Okay, that is all a result of the way King David felt for about 10 seconds in time. And out of that, David confesses. He's broken by his sin. He writes Psalm 51, specifically verses 10 through 12. He says, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me, restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. David knows his actions are despicable, but he knows that they're not the source of the problem. The first thing he asks for is a new heart, not a new behavior. Paul David Tripp is a speaker, he's an author, he's pastor, and he says it like this, and this has been one of the most influential quotes for me in the last couple of years. He says this, it feels good to think that your biggest problems in life exist outside of you and not inside of you, but the problem is that is simply not true. If we trust that God gives us emotion as a tool to gauge our hearts and our emotions do not line up with what God says is right, we must acknowledge our own brokenness and call out to a loving and patient God for help. The logical question is how, right? 
Do what David did in Psalm 51 if you need a, a quick guide. Confess. Confess to God. Confess to others. Repent, which just means turn away. If you've got sin over here, repent and walk this way. Turn away from that sin and then ask for God's help. God has promised you that he will not leave you. All who confess Christ as Lord and believe that God raised Jesus from the dead will be saved. Trust that he can and will change you. Yes, we will acknowledge that God cannot stand sin, but it is not about your sin. God says without faith, it is impossible to please him. And whoever would draw near to God, it says Hebrews 11, must believe that one, he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Believe in God and go after him. Consider yourself dead to sin, crucified in the flesh is the words that Paul uses in Galatians 2. Or, yeah, Galatians 2. But there's another side to this. Maybe you don't feel emotions, right? Maybe emotions are not the issue, but maybe it's lack of emotions. Maybe you used to go to uh, Bible camp in high school. You used to get on fire for God. You'd read your Bible more than you'd read anything else. You were just always on fire for God, and then something changed. What can you do? What do you do if that's your situation? Measure your heart by your emotions. Do you delight in God's word? Do you love God's people? Are you eager to serve and to show compassion? Do you have a heart for the poor, the widow, and the orphan? If you can answer yes to those kinds of questions, maybe the passion for God himself has kind of ebbed in your life, but find encouragement knowing that you have a heart that is in alignment with the heart of the Almighty who made you and cares for you deeply and knows your struggle. These emotions are a gauge, a tool to guide your relationship with God, not dictate it. God himself also takes advantage of our emotional tools to move us towards action. You guys should still be in Proverbs 3, so look at it with me again. There are a bunch of emotions in this text, but we're going to look at the actions, right? Starting in verse 1, we see do not forget. So it's actually don't do this thing. Do not forget. He says also keep my commandments. So keep them. Verse 3, bind, excuse me, uh, bind steadfast love and faithfulness. Write them on your heart. Verse 5, trust the Lord. Do not lean on your own understanding. Verse 6, acknowledge him. Verse 7, be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. Turn away. Repent from evil. And the book just keeps going. I mean, you guys, go home and read Proverbs, man. It's great. Um, It's just over and over we see these actions a a list of things God says we need to do. Let's just look at verse 5. Trust the Lord. When we say trust, trust, do you wait to feel like you're going to trust someone? I'm a forgetful person, I think. Thank you. (laughs) Uh, Sarah and I just celebrated our fifth wedding anniversary a couple weeks ago, um, and she has learned over five years, among other things, that my memory is bad. Um, we've moved past kind of the lovey-dovey stage that you feel for the first year or two of marriage, and she has learned very quickly that, wow, this guy has a lot of flaws, right? And sometimes I just need 
things repeated like over and over and over and over and over and over and over until it just sticks. And even then, it's not a promise I'm going to do it, right? But like, I just need it over and over again because my, like, it just, whatever is wrong. Um, <clears throat> now, some of you kind of know this. We moved into a brand new home to us yesterday. And um, as anyone who has ever bought a house before knows, it can be a very stressful process. And Sarah is the administrative one. She's the organized one. She is the thoughtful one. She's the one who plans ahead in our family. I am not, uh, for lack of a better term. And so there have been times when Sarah has had to trust me because she's got a lot going on. She is being pulled in different directions, sometimes literally by the two small people who live in our house. Um, and she's just had to make the choice to trust me. I'm not saying it's an easy choice. But she makes the intentional choice saying, I'm going to trust Eric with this. And that's not just because it's an arbitrary choice. That is a choice made by five years of trust, love, hurt, reconciliation, puns, jokes, Netflix, date nights, and our general enjoyment of one another. She doesn't trust any of you guys the way she trusts me. <laughs> Maybe that's a good thing. <clears throat> God has sovereignly used the emotion in my wife's heart that she has for some reason towards me and produces action of trust from those emotions. Jonathan Edwards was a Puritan theologian, uh, pastor. He was an all-around boss in the 1700s. Um, he writes this great dissertation on the relationship between Christians and emotions, and he calls them affections. But he's careful not to separate the two. Um, and he says this, the will... And the affections of the soul are not two faculties. The affections are not essentially distinct from the will, nor do they differ from the mere actings of the will and inclination of the soul, but only in the liveliness and sensibleness of exercise. That's a lot of words, but what Edwards is saying is our actions and feelings, they're different in how they're experienced, but they're unified in purpose. Emotions move us to action. Edwards goes on to say that religion, which God requires and will accept, does not consist in weak, dull, and lifeless wishes, raising us but a little above the state of indifference. God, in his word, greatly insists upon it that we be good in earnest, fervent in spirit, and our heart vigorously engaged in religion. It is such a fervent, vigorous engagedness of the heart in religion that is the fruit of the real circumcision of the heart or true regeneration that has the promises of life. God does not want you to have an emotionless relationship where you check the boxes off your Christian to-do list. At the same time, we cannot base a relationship about our relationship with God on how we feel about God. If you're not feeling God, you are not excused from pursuing Christ, loving others, and making disciples. We are creatures made by a God who fully encapsulates the perfection of emotion and action and are wholly made in his image. The cross of Christ means that we have the opportunity to die to our sinful old selves who are dominated by inaction or emotional despondence and made alive to Christ to experience the fullness of joy and love and pleasure and then to act on that. Now, I'm going to emotionally manipulate you for a second. When I say those Sarah McLaughlin commercials, you guys know what I'm talking about? 
right? If you want to feel old, those commercials are now 11, right? Uh, if you're not familiar with those commercials, behold. Okay, turned off. <laughs> right? You guys know that one. It comes on every year around Christmas. It just makes you feel like a garbage human being sometimes. Like, listen, this is the most successful ad the SPCA has ever produced. It made them $30 million in two years. Right? Their operating budget every year is $50 million. They made their entire budget in two years, almost. Um, and it actually kind of set a new bar in the nonprofit fundraising world. If you really, like, once you're finished with Proverbs, after you go home, you can look into that. <clears throat> um, but look, what this tells us is we are, we are wired in such a way that our emotions result in action. We are so drawn to those puppy dog eyes that $30 million was raised in two years. So let's look at verse 5 in, in Proverbs chapter 3. Right? It says, Trust the Lord... Trust in the Lord, which is an action with all of your heart, where emotions come from. This action, which is trust, puts the glory of God in our hearts. And when we do this, we begin to be conformed more to God's will. The more we trust in God, the more we find him trustworthy. When we see that God is trustworthy, the more our affections and love for him grow. The more that we love God, the more we allow his truth to soak into our lives and shape our thoughts, which make us more like him. The more that we are shaped to be like God, the more we love what God loves. And the more that we love what God loves, and the more that we're more the more that we are like him, we act on that love to love and serve him and others. This is why Jesus says the greatest commandment is love God, and the second one is like it, love others. God uses our emotions as a tool to get into our hearts and work his love out and move us to action that benefits others and glorifies God. Which takes us to our third characteristic, Emotions, like so much else in life, emotions exist ultimately for the glory of God. Perhaps one of the most incredible expressions of emotion in the Bible take, makes, it, makes an appearance, it's repeated. It makes an appearance in verse 7, where it says, Be not wise in your own eyes, fear the Lord, and turn away from evil. Uh, fear the Lord is kind of a weird concept, so Martin Luther makes a helpful explanation of this. It's not, um, fear in this case is not be scared, it's not have anxiety, it's not worry. It is called a, he calls it a filial fear, which like what a child would experience toward a good parent. Um, that denotes admiration, respect, awe, and a healthy fear of authority and their power. 
and there's a desire to please with a fear of disappointing. That's the kind of fear that we're instructed to have towards God. The idea of fear of the Lord is spoken of in the Bible over 300 times. It is not as stretched to say that fear of the Lord is a key to following Jesus. Chapter 1 of Proverbs says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. We fear God and we admire him. We look to him and we allow ourselves to be impressed by him, not only because we should, but because once you get a good look at Jesus, nothing else is worth looking at. In John chapter 6, Jesus had just fed about 5,000 people, and then he immediately starts uh, teaching some of the hardest teachings he has. Um, He doesn't do like the strategic thing of like, all right, we've got all these people here, they got full bellies. Gospel presentation. Not for Jesus, right? He's got the attention of over 5,000 people, and he says, most of you are unbelievers and are destined for eternal torment. That's not a way to win a crowd, right? So he's making all these hard teachings, and people are leaving, kind of dispersing, be like, well, forget this guy. I got my, my meal. I'm going home. And the only people who are left by the end of it are the 12 apostles. And he looks at them. He says, are you guys going to leave too? And Simon Peter looks at him, and he's, in verse 68, he says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Right? I'm not going anywhere else. I've eaten the queso sauce at Cadoba. I'm not going to Chipotle's knockoff stuff and trying that. I have tasted the promised sauce. Right? right? That's what Peter says. I've, we have seen you. We have seen the glory of God. The fear of the Lord has struck Peter and the other apostles in a supernatural way. The fear of the Lord made it into their hearts and convinced them there's nowhere else to go. And that fear of the Lord in their hearts works itself out in emotions because after they're given the Holy Spirit in Acts, they go to the ends of the earth joyfully and passionately proclaiming a message of love that has profoundly shaped the course of human history. The emotion of joy in Christ and a passionate love for God shaped the early church that propelled the sharing of the gospel in spite of persecution and death. It is the compassion of God given by God to us that allows us to care for the sick, the poor, the widow, and the orphan. It is our ability to feel hate that we fight injustices of this world like racism and murder. Church, it is imperative that we have a spiritual audacity to take action and go after the fear of God, to pursue it, to find it, and to grab a hold of it and never let go. Don't settle for dryness. Maybe you've had a a dry week. Maybe you've had a dry month. Maybe you had a dry year. Maybe you were in the middle of a dry decade. Don't give up on our God. Go after him as hard as you can. There's one more Jonathan Edwards quote that I've got for you. Kind of a long one, so please stick with me. But this one made me cry in the middle of my lunch break at work, and people asked me what was wrong, so now you have to listen to it. He says this, there are, there are many that often hear of the glorious perfections of God, his almighty power and boundless wisdom, his infinite majesty and that holiness of God by which he is of purer eyes than to behold evil and cannot look on iniquity. And the heavens are not pure in his sight and of God's infinite goodness and mercy and hear of the great works of God's wisdom 
power and goodness wherein there appear the admirable manifestations of these persecutions. They hear particularly of the unspeakable love of God and Christ and of the great things that Christ has done and suffered and of the great things of another world, of eternal misery and bearing the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God and of endless blessedness and glory in the presence of God and the enjoyment of his dear love. They also hear the preemptory commands of God and his gracious counsels and yet remain as they were, with no sensible alteration in them, either in heart or practice, because they are not affected with what they hear and ever will be so till they are affected. Do not settle for dryness. Do not give up on God. Keep fighting. Go after him hard. And let him use his, your emotions to bring you into his splendorous beauty of grace. I started off by telling you that I struggle in my relationship with God from time to time. How God often feels uh, far away based on the way I grow up. And so I fight these feelings. And it's in light of that feeling that the reality of the truth found in Revelation 21 is so dear to me. In Revelation 21, John... Uh, the apostle, he's the last living apostle, is writing, um, having seen a vision of what's going to happen when Jesus returns, there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth, and the former things have passed away, and behold, the new has come. Uh, sin is just gone, There's just, and it's just beautiful, and then this happens. John says, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will be with them and they shall be his people and God himself will be with them as their God and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning or crying or pain anymore for the former things have passed away. It is easy for me to struggle with feeling like God's away. It's hard for me to feel like God is near, but God says one day I will be with you. You will be with me and I will be your God. The, the sinful feelings that you may struggle with, they are passing away. Your painful emotions, they will not last forever. There is comfort in the Lord. He redeems, he forgives, and this is a God who loves you. Let's pray. God, thank you that you are a God of emotion that you are a God who has given us these emotions for our good and for your glory. To those who are feeling trapped by their own emotions, I pray that they might find freedom in a holy God who cares for them and gives them truth. And for those who don't feel the emotions, Lord, would you give them an extra measure of your spirit that they might experience joy and peace and love in the arms of a father. Lord, you are good, you are love, and you are caring. We are so thankful for how you choose to work in our lives. Continue to be with us in this time of worship.